0: Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to seek God's presence and serve God's people. Now, let's get to the message. Did y'all come hungry today? Who's ready for a word from God today? Well, let's open our Bible to John chapter 20, and we're going to read a really powerful story from John chapter 20. We're going to talk about Jesus and the disciple Thomas, and that's where we're going to begin to build a case for the message that I have today as part of our Just Jesus sermon series. So. For a while now, we've been focusing on different facets of the face of Jesus, just looking at him from a different angle every Sunday. The Bible is filled with God's own self-disclosure about himself. So he really wants you to know more about him. He really wants you to know more about him. God's greatest desire is that He become your greatest desire. Listen, this is so good. Even the babies are saying amen this morning. God's greatest desire is that He become your greatest desire. All right, so we're learning about Him through the scripture. John chapter 20. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you're gonna read it off the screen, say that's me. Okay, I'm cool with that. Let's stand together, honor the Word of God, and read out loud all together as a family. We're gonna begin here in verse 24, and then we're gonna to go to verse 29, all right? Let's begin. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, hold on just a second right there. That kinda of sounds like The feeling that some people got this morning when I began to talk about Friday night was not with them when Jesus came. See, this is why I think you should fight to get to the house of the Lord every single Sunday. You don't know when Jesus is going to show up in an extraordinary way. Now, he shows up every Sunday. He can show up through YouTube in your living room. But there are certain moments when the disciples gather that it's almost like Jesus himself personally walks through walls and starts laying hands on people. And this was one of those moments. Friday was one of those moments. This is why I would just suggest to you that you fight to get to church fight to get to the house verse 25 so the other disciples told him we have seen the lord who did they see the lord. let's say it again the lord. yes but he said to them unless i see his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side i will never what Believe. i will never what Believe. see what we're seeing here in this passage is a moment in which a disciple takes hold of supernatural revelation that we call belief knowing that jesus is in fact who he says he is which is the lord everybody say the lord, the lord. 8 days later his disciples were inside again And Thomas came to church that weekend. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but what? Believe. Believe." And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. How did he answer? You see the link here between belief in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord. The natural response to receiving supernatural revelation from God that Jesus is in fact the Lord is to confess with your lips. I believe in my heart and I confess with my lips Jesus is the Lord. So Thomas said, you're not only my Lord, but you're also my God. You're also Adonai meaning you're also my creator. I've been walking with you for three years, you're my master and I'm your follower, but you're not just the Messiah, you're also the creator, like you are God. You see the supernatural revelation taking place? Can you imagine the astonishment on the face of Thomas? What? He's touching his hands, he's touching his side. You are Lord. Even though we don't see him in the flesh, that's what happens in our spirit when we get saved. It's almost as as if we're Thomas touching the hands. This is the point of salvation. It's almost as if we're the doubting disciple touching the side. You are who you said you are. God is real, and you are him. My Lord and my God, in verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. There's that word again, believe. You see the connection between belief, faith, confession, lordship. It's all there, which is why the title of the message today is this, Jesus is Lord, question mark, prove it. Look at your neighbor and say, prove it. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask for the spirit of revelation to enter into this room and rest upon each and every one of us so that we might see you with more clarity. We want Jesus. More than we want anything else, we want Jesus. We want to know more about what you are like, Lord. So we pray you'd show us that today and we'd all leave this room transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. On your way to your seat, come on, find about three people and tell them, prove it. Jesus is your Lord, prove it. So I think one of the things that we can do by reading this story is insert ourselves into the passage and see ourselves as Thomas. right. Right, the doubting disciple. How many of you guys doubt from time to time? Isn't God so good that he would respond to our doubt in such a specific way? I mean, he hears us calling out to him with our questions, and we say things like, I'm not ever going to believe unless I see this. Anybody ever been there before? I ain't going to believe no more unless God shows me this. And how good is God, church? He's so good that he will answer our questions so specifically. He shows up at church that weekend. He says, hey, you, Thomas, picks him out of the crowd. You know? You'd think that he'd only show up to those with really big faith or those in ministry or those who have been walking with him for much longer. But no, God shows up for the one. He shows up for the doubting disciple. He shows up for the one that keeps complaining, talking about, I don't think I'm going to believe him despite all he's done in my life. Jesus will show up for you. If that's you in the room this morning, I want you to know that Jesus is here and he came for you. Not for the mature, not for the anointed, not for the qualified. He shows up for the doubting. He shows up for the Thomases among us. And he says, hey, look at my hands. Look at my side. I'm him. He shows up for us. And so what we see here is there's a, uh, there's a precedent that is set. There's a precedent uh, that... that, that, that is established here in this church meeting that would actually be carried out all throughout church history, and it would lead us to 2022, and we're still doing today the same thing that Thomas did over 2,000 years ago, which is this, receiving by the grace of God, hallelujah, supernatural revelation about who Jesus is, believing in him with our hearts, and confessing with our lips, Jesus is lord can we just say that together jesus is lord that's what that's what happens to thomas that had that's what has already happened to the disciples if you look at verse 25 you'll see there that they start talking to thomas about jesus as the lord now it wasn't so common For them to talk about Jesus as the Lord prior to the resurrection. But once Jesus shows up in his resurrected body, they start talking about Jesus being the Lord a lot. They're like, oh yeah, we knew you were a rabbi. We knew you were a teacher. We knew you were a prophet. We knew you were amazing. We knew you were graceful. We knew you were kind. We knew you were loving, but you know what? You are the Lord and there is no doubt about it. And so that's why whenever Thomas has this revelation that Jesus is in fact who he said he was, he says, you're the Lord. And this was not something that Jesus waited on the disciples to identify. This is something that Jesus self-discloses about himself as he's walking with the disciples and teaching them about him and his kingdom. If you look at uh, John chapter 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, because I am he. I've been noticing the NBA players been saying that when they score. I am him. Y'all see that, Joseph? You see that? Hey, listen, y'all, y'all gotta intercede for Steph, all right? I, I am the unofficial leader of his intercession ministry. I don't believe in the luck of the Irish. I believe in the blessing of Jehovah. Hello. Okay, Anyway. Sorry, I'm gonna have to work the NBA into every sermon until it's over, all right? And then you're gonna get it next season. Yeah. So Jesus says, I am him. Yeah. You're right that you call me the Lord because in fact that is true about me. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse three, we see Paul saying nobody can even say this, that Jesus is the Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? For us to truly confess Jesus as the Lord, we need a supernatural revelation from God. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try this out over here. So in order to confess that Jesus is the Lord, we all need a supernatural revelation from God. Amen. Amen. We need that. We need an experience like Thomas. Like we can only truly confess this by grace. And Thomas says, well, I'm not even gonna believe unless I see Jesus as you have. And then when Jesus shows up, he says, Thomas, believe, believe, receive, look, supernatural revelation, I'm showing you who I am. Now you can believe. And then Thomas responds by saying, my Lord and my God. What he does is he receives the same revelation that the rest of the disciples had already received and he begins to acknowledge very, very quickly, might I add, it didn't take him a few years before he acknowledged the Lordship. It's the first, everybody say the first, Thing that Thomas acknowledged about Jesus when he received the revelation that he was the Son of God. Now I'm going somewhere with this, okay? I'm building on something. All right, the first. Everybody say the first, the first. revelation that Thomas acknowledges whenever he believes in his heart that God has raised, raised Jesus from the dead is he confesses with his lips, "You're the Lord." Wow. Yes. Now, now this is still this is still happening even today because. In order to be a Christian, you must confess Jesus is Lord. Yes. 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 Look, in order to be a biblical Christian, I, I, maybe, maybe I should reframe that. In order to be a biblical Christian, you have to confess that Jesus is the Lord. We, we do this a lot, right? Romans chapter 10 proves it to us. This is a very uh, often quoted. I quote it almost at the end of every sermon Uh, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does the Bible say? You will be saved. We know that's how you get saved. You believe in your heart and you confess with your lips. What do you confess? Jesus is Lord. You guys got it. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, it's, it's your belief in here that justifies you. What does justify mean? Just as if I'd never sinned. It wipes away your sin. It scatters it as far as the east is from the west. When you believe that Jesus is, in fact, who he said he is, you're justified by that faith. But then when you follow that up with confession and you say, I believe, Jesus, you're the Lord. What does the Bible say? You're saved. Yeah. Come, on. Come on, that's the gospel, church. That's the grace of God. You mean to tell me I don't got to go to the cross for everything I did bad? No, Jesus already did that for you. All you have to do is believe in your heart that he did it and confess with your lips that he is the Lord, and you can be saved. That's the best exchange that humanity has ever and will ever know about. That's the gospel, and so we're seeing this clear link all throughout scripture, all throughout church history, and believing and confessing that Jesus is the Lord. If you say, Jesus is the Lord, this is how we are saved. Now, we've all become accustomed to this. There are bumper stickers that we see people in traffic that say, Jesus is the Lord, or or, Jesus is king. We often see this line from Romans chapter 10 quoted to us. This is how you get saved. This is what it means uh, to be saved. Uh, here's the scripture. Here's the truth. Here's what you must do. But how many of us have stopped and seriously considered the implications of that confession? When you say Jesus is Lord, are you making a theological statement like, hey, here's my doctrine, like we're going to talk about on Wednesday? Or are you saying Jesus is Lord in a very personal I'm talking like it's taking root in your heart. Jesus is not just the Lord, generically, of course he is, but Jesus is my Lord, specifically. Like I'm not just making a doctrinal statement, I'm not just giving you my theology, I'm talking to you about my lifestyle. I mean, we, we, we we love tweetables and bumper stickers, right? It's not a religion, it's a relationship until it's inconvenient, and then it's a religion again. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. So long as you're blessing me, Lord, it's a relationship. We're connected, we're dialed in, yeah, I'm your favorite. Like that that, uh, meme of that guy behind the tree. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus is Lord so long as he's blessing you. But what about whenever Jesus asks you to do hard stuff? What about when he asks you to lay stuff down on the altar? What about when he asks you to walk away from sin? What about when he asks you about those things that you don't want to let go of? Is it still a relationship or did that just turn into religion? Well, he's not religious. He don't mind. He knows my heart. You know, he knows I can't be perfect. I mean, he, I, I want to be religious about this. Oh, man, we just got started. I'm already meddling in your business, aren't I? I mean, we're five minutes into this thing. What does it mean that Jesus is your Lord? I mean, is that personal to you? Is that personal to you? Do you have a personal conviction about that? Jesus is the Lord. If you look at the uh, Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, you'll see there that this word Lord is the word and it means master. Everybody say master. Very properly, here's the exact definition. It is a person, a master, exercising absolute ownership rights. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You mean to tell me I am owned by God? Yes. I mean to tell you that you are owned by God by God, that is what the Bible says this is. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse 22 says, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You are owned by God. You are not your own, you belong to another. He is your master, he is your savior, he is your Lord, and you belong to him. We, we are on the same page about this, right? Because, like, these are the things that we say amen about, right? Because we agree with them intellectually. But when they become practical with implications as to how we make decisions, that's where this has to go, all right? This is not the doctrine class. (laughs) This is about how we make our choices day in and day out. Is Jesus the Lord or are you? Are you the Lord of your life? Are you the master of your own fate? right? Are you in charge of your life or is Jesus? Who? Are you at the center of your world or is Jesus at the center of your world? Do you treat his commands as passive suggestions or do you hear his voice and you say, you are my Lord. I don't want to do that, but I will. You know why? Because I'm your bond servant. Or do you argue with God every time he asks you to do something challenging? Because last I checked, man, it's not really the right of a bond servant to consistently raise issue with their master. We've forgotten who we belong to. We've forgotten who we're called to submit ourselves to. We've forgotten that obedience is actually a biblical concept Well, I don't want nobody controlling me. Well, good luck being a Christian, because that's what Jesus said he wants in your life, to be your Lord. And I'm not suggesting that he longs to control you, because he's not needy. (laughs) Jesus is not some, like, weird narcissist that needs you to love him in order to feel good about himself, that he doesn't need that, but he wants to be your Lord. And he reveals himself as Lord all throughout the scripture. And if you want to be saved by Jesus, you must confess that he is Lord and then adjust your paradigm and your lifestyle in such a way that you live as though he is the Lord. Like, that's all right here. Like we... Right, this, this isn't like a modern-day New York Times bestseller, Seven Principles to Success. God does want to bless you, but there are certain seasons that may feel like, God wants to kill me. You know, it's like, how, how, how am I going to be successful if I'm dead? And Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, it cannot bear fruit and it will not spring forth it can do nothing for me die to yourself pick up your cross and follow me i'm the lord you're not that's what he said i'm not trying to be controversial i'm just trying to quote him i'm not trying to be pushy i'm just trying to share with you what I felt like God shared with me. We need to get reacquainted with the reality that Jesus is not simply our BFF, but he is also our Lord. He is also our king. He is also a righteous judge. He loves us and he's not our enemy, but he is our judge. And that is the gospel that your judge is not your enemy. How's this going over so far? I can't tell, honestly. I'm like, still a little thrown off by the, how many people are coming to doctrine class? I don't know. So Paul says, I'm a bondservant in Christ. What is that word in Greek? It's the word doulos. Everybody wanna try that on? Doulos. Doulos. You're Greek scholars, honestly, beautiful. Doulos, it's where we get our word doula. You know, you know what a doula is? Those of you guys who've had babies or are about to have babies? Man, doulas are amazing. You, you know what? You guys had a doula before? I, are we the only people? Okay, so we're the only people. So we've had a doula before, and the doula's sole purpose is to assist the bride, to serve the bride as a bondservant, You ever been around a woman giving birth before? They're in charge. And there is no debate about it. The doula's responsibility is to serve the master and to help with the delivery of what it is they're carrying. Now, if that is not a picture-perfect illustration of what it means to be a bondservant unto Christ and his bride, I don't know a better one. You're called to serve the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church, the people that are sitting next to you in such a way that you acknowledge you have been impregnated, forgive the illustration. You are carrying a word from the Lord, and it is supposed to come forth in your life I'm going to be your doula and help you deliver what God's put in you. What do you need, mama? You want to lay? Okay, we're going to lay you down. What do you? You want some ice chips? Okay, you're going to get that. You want me to start playing some? Okay, I'm going to do that. Is this hitting home for anybody today? I don't know. I know the people who got some babies dedicated know exactly what I'm talking about. A woman in labor is in charge. Am I right, my man? It's the truth. This is what Jesus said that we're all called to become as we acknowledge the reality that we're saved, set free, and he is Lord. Another passage, Romans, Romans chapter six, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin, and have become slaves, guess what that word is? Dulos. Dulos. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, here's the benefit of it. It's an upside-down kingdom. I know it doesn't make sense because you start talking about being a bondservant, and you're like, hold on, what do you you mean I'm free? But freedom in Christ looks like being a bondservant to Christ. Real freedom looks like being completely submitted to Jesus. You want to experience freedom in your life? Stop saying no to God. I'm I'm telling you right now, you will experience freedom that you've never experienced before. You want to get free? Stop saying no to God. And have become slaves of God. And here's the benefit you get. Oh, don't wait, there's a benefit? Yes, there's good news. Yes, there's more. Wait, there's more, right? It's like, here's the benefit that you get. This is awesome. Here's the benefit you get. You reap, which leads to what? Holiness, and what else? Eternal life. You mean to tell me by becoming a bondservant to Jesus and confessing that he's the Lord and living as though he's my master, I will reap the benefits of holiness? I'm gonna become like God? Does that sound awesome to you guys? It sounds awesome to me. I'll become holy, and what else do I get? When I die, death doesn't have the final victory. I get to live forever in paradise with my Savior. That sounds like an amazing deal. I don't know about you guys, but becoming a bondservant of Christ seems pretty appealing when you study through the Scriptures. Do you see here the link? between submission and sanctification? Wow. 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 I'm gonna try this side, because I, I don't think this side, so But are you seeing here the link between submission and sanctification? Yeah. Whenever you acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord, here's what you reap, holiness. Yeah. Wow. Here's what causes sanctification to stop in your life. When you become your Lord, and you stop living as though Jesus is your Lord. Yeah. Whenever you are the master of your own faith and Jesus is no longer in charge. It's when you pick yourself up off the altar and you say, Jesus, listen, I'm going to keep on being a Christian, but I want you to get out of my business. I'm going to make the decisions that are best for me, the decisions that I like. I'm tired of waiting on you to show up unless I see the scars in your hands and the the, the, the marking. I ain't going to believe I'm going to do what I want to do. That's when sanctification stops, right there. That's when holiness discontinues, right there. This is what it means to belong to Jesus. This is why Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. Listen, Jesus did not get you on discount. He, he, Jesus doesn't rent you. For, I'm going I'm to get them for the first three months after they say yes to me and then after that they go back to doing whatever they want to do they just call themselves Christians no like he bought you what did he buy you with the most priceless spotless sinless blood of the lamb that takes away the sins of the world as he hung up high on a cross stretched himself out wide so that you could be delivered and set free for forever he bought you with a price you are not your own you now belong to God You belong to God. Everybody just say, I'm not in charge. (laughs) Is that refreshing, or does that feel like I'm, like, giving you a root canal? Like, oh, I don't like that. I know, because it goes against the human nature, but it goes in the direction of our spiritual nature. Who we are as a new creation is completely submitted to Jesus as Lord. This is what our spirit knows that we long for because we understand that's where the freedom is. You want more freedom? You need more submission. And it's not about us. 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. It's not us, but we proclaim Jesus as Lord with ourselves as your? Sir. Doulos. For the sake of who? For the sake of Jesus, because Jesus is the Lord. We're not proclaiming ourselves. I'm not at the center of the world in my life. Jesus is. Jesus is. The more, the more we extract the gospel uh, from the church, the more we must inject uh, humanism, uh, modern psychology, and uh, tips uh, for quick successes in the church. I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but church, and I'm not dogging on anybody, but I'm just recognizing that church, by and large, has become more and more driven by psychology, by inspiration, and by motivation. You know why? Because we're neglecting the reality that Jesus is the Lord, and we're coming to a place within the context of our modern culture as though we sit upon the throne and decide what's best for us. Commandments are no longer a thing. We just call them invitations, which, by the way, we can never perform because we're in the midst of a transition, and it's just not the best season. You know all the charismatic things that we do. You know what I mean? God's just working on me. Well, yeah, he's working on me, too. You know, we're all unfinished masterpieces. But he also accomplished something pretty profound on the cross 2,000 years ago that worked on you pretty well. So do you need another transition or do you just need to repent? (laughs) Let me save you a little time. (laughs) The quickest way to freedom... It looks like this, Jesus, you're the Lord. You want me to do that? Okay, I won't say no. I don't want to do that. Neither did Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If it be your will, Lord, let this cup pass from me, because I don't want to do it. Nevertheless, if you have called me to sweat drops of blood, if you've called me to pick up my cross, If you've called me to make the journey to the top of the hill in front of the city where everybody can see me and I'm ashamed and I'm embarrassed and I look like a failure so that I can die to myself so that I can receive the eternal life that you promised in you, I don't want to drink that cup, but yes. Why? Because you're my Lord. Because you are my Lord, and when I acknowledge that, I recognize I'm not voting for you. I don't put you in office. You put yourself there. You are God. You're a king of kings. You are Lord of lords. I don't have an opinion. I don't need one. Mine is rubbish anyway by comparison to your wisdom. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. I don't want to submit, but I do because I know you know what's best for me. You know who hates to submit to people who know what's best for them? Toddlers, and yet we act as though we are so mature. I'm so anointed. I'm the man of God. I am so powerful, and God's like, do this one thing. I don't feel like that. You're not mature. You're fooling yourself. You may have a following, but it doesn't mean you have an anointing. Jesus must be the Lord in your life, or else you just gotta go right back. Jesus, you're the Lord. That's where it starts, right? Didn't Romans chapter 10 tell us very clearly? Here's how you get saved. You believe in your heart and you confess with your lips that Jesus is your BFF. Did you see, did did you guys see that Romans I don't know what translation you have. That's book of first opinions. Um, It's in there. So. You know what I'm saying, though? It's like we today have become so accustomed to hearing that Jesus loves us that we think that we get saved by confessing that Jesus is our lover. And there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus wants to be your lover like his goal is relationship, fellowship, communion. Go back to the garden. He's always just been trying to take a walk with his kids. But that's not how we get saved it's not by confessing he's my bff it's not by confessing that he's the lover oh he's all oh, oh my blesser the one who blesses me oh he's so good to me 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 <laughs> right no he didn't say that he didn't say you get saved by confessing that jesus is your homeboy He said, you get saved by confessing that Jesus is your Lord because that's where it starts. That's where the relationship starts. That's where Christianity starts. There is no biblical methodology to live out your Christian faith apart from Jesus being your Lord. You cannot be a biblical Christian and Jesus not be Lord. It's impossible. I mean, you could, you know, stay very connected to Modernism, humanism, modern psychology, what were the kids call it? Hustle porn. Yeah. 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 Right? Whenever Jesus is just my sugar daddy, yeah. my lottery ticket, yeah. my motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is Lord. Can we say that together? Jesus is Lord. Here's what I've noticed, is that for some of us, if we'd treat Jesus more like our bosses at work, our Christianity would instantly become more real. Some of us respect and revere our employers more than we do our Savior. We'll let our boss determine more about how we live our life than we'll let the Lord. This is getting too real lit. I can already tell. It's, if people are squirming. I don't know if it's because it's 1229, and you're like, dude, I got a pot roast in the crock pot. Like, I'm, I'm done. I'm about to tap out, man. I'm good, actually. Go ahead and keep your points. But it's true. Let me give you a list. We'll let our boss determine how we spend our time, but we'll not give the Lord access to our schedule. You, you, you let your boss determine how you spend your whole week you will not even give the Lord the opportunity to determine how you spend your six a.m.s. Yeah. yeah. He, he can fill your whole schedule. Eight hours. The Lord's like, let me get one hour in prayer. Nah, I don't feel like that. Oof. But you get my, you know my heart though. Yes. Wow. You know my heart. I can't be. I can't. I can't be perfect. You know. You. 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 You already. No. There's nowhere in the Bible that says Jesus is your cardiologist. It says that He's your Lord though. You know my heart. Yeah, y'all didn't get that. Okay, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know. Maybe you, you're done with me. Um, we'll, we'll let our boss tell us which days of the week that we must come in to work, but we'll not let the Lord determine one day a week that we must come into church. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Wow. Man. Yeah. I got to dismiss. I can, I can already tell. I can already tell. We'll let our boss determine how much we get paid, but we'll ignore the Lord when he tells us to tithe. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No. God's like, I gave you everything. All right, last one. We fear our bosses and we do what they say right away, but when the Lord speaks, we waffle. I don't really, I don't really, I don't really have to do that. I, I choose no. <laughs> is this real for anybody? Luke chapter 12, verse five, this is Jesus talking. He said, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear God. The reason we don't do so well, we, I'm not preaching at you, I'm, I'm in this thing with you, I could be preaching like this. Like, the reason we don't do so well with Jesus as Lord is because we don't do so well with the fear of God, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? We got smartphones and not wise. It's like, I don't really respect, I don't really revere God, but he gets me out of things and he blesses me and I like the way he makes me feel when he's not asking me to do hard stuff. Is this helping anybody today? Listen, I'm not suggesting that you stop honoring human authorities, but I am suggesting that you start honoring God's authority if you've neglected that place in your heart. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me, all right? Not obeying Jesus is disobeying God. Not obeying Jesus is disobeying God, and when we disobey God, we need to repent. Obeying God is not the same as getting nostalgic about Jesus. Right, sometimes we get so nostalgic about what Jesus has said. We take the best sermon he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, we print it out on some like uh, papyrus and we burn the edges with a lighter and then we frame it and we hang it on our mantle. Look at the beautiful words of Jesus. Isn't it so wonderful to remember them? It's better if we do them, but it's so wonderful. You know, see, getting nostalgic about Jesus is the religious way of ignoring Jesus. This is why Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So how's your love for God tested? When he asks you to do something, do you obey him? Or do you ignore him? That reveals our strength, the strength of our love for him. And listen, the devil may try to tell you that weak love is no love and that's not true. The message today is not about condemnation. The message today is a hopeful opportunity for Jesus to bring conviction to all of us, to the places where we've held back from God as he's spoken to us while we say he's our Lord. Jesus is Lord. He, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus is not in this to manipulate us like some insecure college aged boyfriend, yeah. yep. right? Like Jesus is not lacking in confidence or identity. He's not trying to control you. Like I said, he's not a narcissist. Jesus never pretends to be what he's not in order to try to get you to love him. He's not a manipulator. He just self-discloses himself as he actually is and says, listen, if you want to have a relationship with me, I'm going to tell you straight up this is how I am. Jesus is Lord. This is what he's doing for us in the scripture. He's just saying, look, you want to roll with me? I'm the Lord. You want to roll? I'm in charge. Jesus, I would like to be in charge. No. (laughs) I'm thinking of Talladega Nights. Um, You know, when he was like, Ricky, maybe I could win one. And he's like, take that thought and put it deep down in your heart and never bring it up again. (laughs) All right, let me give you all some points and, and I'm gonna get you out of here. I'm gonna go through these real quick. Number one is this. If you're gonna prove that Jesus is Lord in your life, here's how to do it. Accepting Jesus the Lord means rejecting all things that oppose his authority in your life. That's number one. That scripture is Philippians chapter three, verse eight. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count everything as loss. No matter what I have to walk away from, I will willingly do it if it means I get him. Number two, accepting Jesus the Lord means laying down your whole life before him. Romans chapter 14, verse eight says, for if I live, if we live, we live to the Lord, and if I die, we die to the Lord. So then whether I live or whether I die, it's all the Lord's. My whole life is the Lord's. I don't have like this religious life and then my other life and then my work life and then my married life and then or or my my dating life or like my school life and then here's my church life and then come on somebody. I know that we don't want to say amen to this, but we tend to compartmentalize our Christianity so that we show up and we belong to God here. But as soon as we step off the property, our life is all of a sudden our own again. I'm preaching too hard today. Y'all can tell I've been off for two weeks. Point three, accepting Jesus the Lord means being dead to the ways of the world. Galatians six fourteen. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Right, what did Paul also say? Do not be conformed to the pattern of thinking fashioned after the culture of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind through your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing a little bit Romans 12, but the essence of that passage, that's the truth. As you are co-crucified with Christ, Galatians 2 and 22, you have become dead to the world, and you've become alive in Christ. So anything I need to die to, no problem. You know why? Because dead men don't vote. Dead men don't have an opinion. Dead men don't say, nah, I'm good. I'm going to do it my own way. We're dead to the world and alive in Christ. Number four, accepting Jesus the Lord means being willing and ready to share the gospel anytime he directs you to. let 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 me actually say that again. Accepting Jesus the Lord means being willing and ready to share the gospel anytime he directs us to. That's 2 Timothy 1 and 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Hold on, wait. Whenever I step out to declare the testimony of the Lord and preach the gospel, listen, God knows how difficult that that might be, which is why... Paul refers to it as suffering to his spiritual son, Timothy. You want to suffer with me? Preach the gospel when it's inconvenient. You want to suffer with with me? Preach the gospel at Walmart, Target, wherever you find yourself when you're like, oh, I I want to show love to that person. I, I want to minister. I want to be a blessing. I want to You're not just called to preach the gospel. You're caused to preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit, the same spirit that lived in Jesus, lives on the inside of you, and you as a new creation preaches the gospel. That's part of your identity. It's part of your assignment. It's part of your anointing. It's part of your function. You are a preacher. Number five, I only have six. Number five, accepting Jesus the Lord obligates us to treat one another in a way that honors God. We must treat one another in a way that honors God because the Lord requires that of his people. Philippians two, twenty-nine. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Number six, accepting Jesus as Lord means making a wholehearted commitment to work hard for God your whole life. This is where we're finishing. That's my last point. Accepting Jesus as Lord means making a wholehearted commitment to work hard for God your whole life. Romans chapter 12, verse 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in your spirit and serve. Anybody want to take a guess at what that word might be? Be a bondservant. Serve the Lord. Don't don't slack off the... Everything I do, I do it under the Lord. That's Colossians 3 and 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Listen, church, by confessing with your lips that Jesus is the Lord and being saved does does not mean that maybe you will be called to serve. But it, it surely means you will be called to serve. The question is, where and how? And that's why we encourage every single person that calls Legacy Home, find a place to become a doula. Yeah. 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 Find a place. Listen, you don't know why people come into this room on a Sunday morning. It's very rare that people Google a church because everything's going great in their life. People Google churches and go, like, man, I, I need God. I need family. I need friends. I need community. Who can you acknowledge? Man, that person's carrying something. They don't see it. They may not recognize it, but God has put something in their life, and I'm going to help them bring that thing to fruition. What can I do? Maybe it's just taking them to Hunter Station after church today. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's joining parking team and seeing people and be the first person to greet them with joy and zeal and fervency in your spirit. Today's gonna be a great day in the house of the Lord. I can't wait for you to get in the room. It's gonna be amazing. God's already in there. Maybe it's you know serving in kids, serving on greeting team. I don't know what it looks like for you. Maybe it's another team. But listen, we all should be a part of doing it for somebody. Because saying that Jesus is Lord necessitates that we would work hard on his behalf. And when we work hard for God, it's very rarely for ourselves. You can't find a definition of ministry in the Bible that's selfish. Every definition always looks like this. Washing smelly feet. Waiting tables. Serving heartily as into the Lord. Let's stand together. Please don't rush out, just stay two two minutes longer. David's gonna lead us in a chorus, but before he does, let every head just be bowed in this room. If you don't mind, let every eye be closed in this room. And I wanna create some space right now for anybody that needs to respond to Jesus. If you wanna begin a relationship with Jesus today, would you just lift your hand? If If you've never said Jesus is Lord and today needs to be that day, I wanna give you that opportunity right now. I don't see any hands, so if that's you, I just want you to lift it high. Get my attention, please. I want to pray with you. Awesome, awesome. I don't see any hands today. Well, if you're somebody in the room, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you just need to take this moment to reacquaint yourself with Jesus as your Lord. Just do that quietly in your heart. Let's sing this out together. For tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at legacynashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, make sure you log into the store and give us a good review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Join us again next week for another powerful word.